On December 12, 1970, U.S. Customs agents at Miami International Airport seized 210 pounds of heroin. The heroin was smuggled aboard a flight from Asuncion, Paraguay, and it came courtesy from one of the world's most notorious drug dealers, Auguste Ricor. For over 15 years, the U.S. government had maintained a tense relationship with Paraguay. By 1970, they'd provided the country with over $140 million in aid. Although it was suspected that the aid was being misspent, embezzled, or used for human rights violations, since Paraguay hadn't fallen to communism, it appeared the Americans were willing to look the other way. But a drug ring operating under the government's nose was something entirely different. The Paraguayan Connection was part of the largest and most infamous heroin ring in the world, one that originated in Marseille, France, and achieved international notoriety after being portrayed in the film The French Connection. As U.S. officials continued their investigation, they soon discovered the drug ring involved high-level figures from the Paraguayan government and military, and possibly its reigning dictator, Alfredo Strusner. Strusner's regime had nearly been toppled during John F. Kennedy's tenure, but survived by the skin of its teeth. Now, Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger, the architects of some of the most corrupt foreign policy decisions in U.S. history, issued an ultimatum. If the Paraguayan government refused to extradite Ricor, the CIA would have to do it themselves. Welcome to Dictators, a ParCast original. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Dictators for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar. Today we begin our dive into the life and reign of the tyrannical Paraguayan dictator, Alfredo Strusner. From 1954 to 1989, Strusner ruled the country as an implacable autocrat. Like Videla and Pinochet, Strusner was responsible for the murder and disappearances of thousands. And as he repressed the rights of his citizens, he was more than happy to grant asylum to depose dictators from other countries, as well as high-ranking Nazi war criminals. And as with other Latin American dictators, his dominance and longevity would never have been possible without assistance from the United States of America. This week, we'll explore how Strusner seized power and forged a relationship with the United States, one in which U.S. economic aid kept both him and his country afloat. Next week, we'll examine just how tenuous and fraught that relationship became and what finally brought Strusner down. We'll dive into the rise of Alfredo Strusner right after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. During the 19th and 20th centuries, Paraguay's population was nearly eliminated as a result of almost constant war. From 1864 to 1870, the Paraguayan military faced off against an alliance of its neighbors, Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina, in a protracted and bloody territorial battle known as the Paraguayan War. At the time, Paraguay had a total population of roughly half a million people. By the war's end, it had been cut by around 60%, a harbinger for Paraguay's historically high death toll. Just over 60 years later, in September 1932, Paraguay found itself involved in another conflict, this time with Bolivia. The two were facing off to decide control of a disputed part of the northern Chaco region in South America. Both countries firmly believed the Chaco region was rich in oil deposits. But after a nearly three-year battle with 100,000 casualties between the two sides, it appears the deaths were for naught. Although Paraguay declared victory and acquired most of the territory, no oil was ever discovered. But it was during the Chaco War that a young soldier named Alfredo Strassner first gained experience on the battlefield. In fact, it's where his military career began in earnest. In 1932, 20-year-old Strassner was still just a cadet at the Paraguayan Military Academy. Nonetheless, he was put in charge of an entire infantry platoon at the outbreak of the war. After leading the unit to a decisive battlefield victory, he was promoted to second lieutenant and transferred to the artillery division. It was within this division that he served until the war's end, earning numerous citations and accolades and catching the attention of many senior officers. Until this point, Strassner was just another soldier in training. On the surface, he appeared completely average but he possessed a preternatural understanding of human nature and self-interest that was more valuable than anything he could have learned. In fact, it was his own self-interest more than any actual ideology that would propel him forward over the course of his life. Born on November 3, 1912 into a working-class family, Strassner entered the Paraguayan military at age 16. While he may not have excelled in his studies, he relied on charm, instinct, and a healthy dose of luck to ascend the ranks. But even after Paraguay's victory and his distinguished service in the Chaco War, the country was still beset by fighting and instability. In 1936, a year after the war, a military coup ushered General Eugenio Marinigo into power. For 11 years, Marinigo ruled Paraguay like an authoritarian. His fascist edicts, like an attempted ban on opposing political parties and mass firings of military officials, inspired a civil war in 1947. Once again, the population was decimated. Around 50,000 people were killed. 
During the Paraguayan Civil War, members of nearly every political group in the country united to overthrow Marinigo. Unfortunately, there was too much instability and infighting within the group over who would take over when Marinigo was deposed. Capitalizing on the chaos and sensing an opportunity to gain power for themselves, the right-wing Colorado Party joined forces with Marinigo. They tapped 35-year-old Alfredo Strassner, now an officer, to command an artillery regiment in the capital city of Asuncion to fight the liberal revolutionaries. Strassner, with his keen radar for opportunity, was only too happy to oblige. Just as he had in the Chaco War, Strassner distinguished himself in the Paraguayan Civil War, leading his troops and a loose coalition of civilian militias to victory over the liberal insurgents. Unfortunately, there was just as much strife within the Colorado Party as there had been within the opposing coalition. Just a year after they replaced Marinigo, Strassner and a group of officers ousted the new leader in a nonviolent coup. This was emblematic of Paraguayan politics, a system where there was no loyalty and everyone was looking for a way to seize power for themselves. In the first half of the 20th century, 34 different men led the country, with most being subsequently forced out of office. Despite the constant infighting, the Colorado Party managed to violently suppress any hint of political insurgency. Ultimately, nearly one-third of Paraguay's population were exiled by the dominating party between 1948 and 1954. By suppressing all opposition, the Colorado Party was able to reshape nearly every aspect of civilian, military, and political life. They reorganized the military by purging any officers who weren't party loyalists and promoting those that were. As a result, the military essentially became an extension of the party, one that dangerously blurred the boundary between the military and the government. Alfredo Strassner was among the loyalists, so he saw a swift rise up the military chain of command, first to brigadier general, then to commander of all strategically important bases in and around Asuncion, and ultimately becoming commander-in-chief of the army. As was the case in the military academy, Strassner's rise could be attributed to charm, instinct, and luck. There's no evidence that he was any more capable or exceptional than other officers of similar rank. He simply received the most attention from the right people and attached his cart to the right horse. With one minor exception. In 1948, one of Strassner's many attempts to overthrow the sitting president failed. He was forced to flee to the Brazilian embassy in the trunk of a car. After that, he earned the nickname that would plague him for the rest of his life, Colonel Trunk. But as Strassner navigated the chaos of Paraguayan politics, the United States was expanding its influence in Latin America they saw an untapped opportunity in Paraguay. Nearly the size of California, the landlocked Paraguay is divided in two by the Rio Paraguay. Eastern Paraguay is suitable for farming, but Western Paraguay, the infamous Chaco region, is composed mainly of unusable marshland. Because of this lack of natural resources, Paraguay was never seen as a particularly valuable trading partner. But as the Cold War raged, the U.S. was less worried about finding a trading partner 
than an ideological one. With communist governments seizing power in Eastern Europe and Asia, the U.S. worried that it was only a matter of time until the Red Menace reached its shores, especially with the developing communist revolution in Cuba, only 110 miles from the coast of Florida. The U.S. sought strategic alliances with virtually any country that, like them, vowed to take a stand against communism. Unfortunately, many Latin American countries, perhaps inspired by Cuba, were being swept up in a socialist fervor of their own. For the U.S., this problem went deeper than simple ideology. Many Latin American countries had experienced instability after decolonization in the 19th century, and U.S. business interests took full advantage of that instability by exploiting the countries for their natural resources and cheap labor. It wasn't until the mid-20th century that many of these countries began holding democratic elections. And these free elections were generally yielding leaders whose values were at odds with U.S. business interests. One country where that wasn't the case, however, was Paraguay, which was now dominated by a right-wing authoritarian government. In May of 1954, Alfredo Strassner finally led a coup of his own. Toppling his former associate, Federico Chavez, Strassner became the eighth president in seven years. The U.S. government had no reason to believe that Strassner's tenure would be any different from his seven predecessors. When they struck up an alliance with Strassner, they didn't see him as anything more than a strategic ally. Little did either country know that the relationship would end up spanning a tumultuous and bloody 35 years a period that came to be known as the Stranato. Coming up, Strassner's reign begins and an uneasy partnership is forged. History, politics, true crime. The new Spotify original from Parcast has it all. Hi, it's Kate, and I'm thrilled to tell you about a timely new series called Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency. If you enjoy the deceits and dramas featured on Dictators, you'll absolutely love what Very Presidential has in store. Exploits you never learned in history class, but probably should have. From torrid love affairs and contemptible corruption to shocking cover-ups and even murder, Ashley will expose the personal and professional controversies you may have never known existed. You'll hear some wildly true stories about presidents such as JFK, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, and more. Family drama, personal vices, dirty secrets. These presidents may have run, but they most certainly can't hide. If you love the podcast Dictators, make sure and follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
Now back to the story. After six years of political chaos under the increasingly authoritarian Colorado Party, Alfredo Strussner seized power in Paraguay in the spring of 1954. In keeping with the Paraguayan tradition, Strussner took control through a military coup. After assuming office, Strussner laid out his goal to unify all the political forces of the party without internal dissidents, to create a stable, firm, and authoritative government with a wide base of political support. In reality, though, Strussner was less interested in unifying the party as he was in consolidating personal power. And that meant eliminating the infighting among the party. Strussner's actual motives for obtaining power are a mystery. Unlike other dictators who were either power-hungry or had some semblance of a political ideology, Strussner seemed more like a product of his time and place, a chaotic system of alliances and backstabbing. Everyone else was overthrowing one another, so he joined the fray. Strussner just did it more successfully than those who preceded him. To accomplish this, Strussner played opposing sides against each other. He knew that many within the party were probably just biding their time before organizing another coup. So he deftly forged alliances with different factions and essentially tricked them all into believing they were more powerful than they actually were. If he felt that any one person or group constituted a real threat to his power, he wasted no time purging them from the party. And just like dictators before and since, he filled those empty positions with sycophants. As a result, Strussner was gradually able to exert the same control over his citizens, forcing them to pledge loyalty to the Colorado party and himself. If they didn't, they were either fired from their jobs, arrested, kidnapped, or killed. Actions that didn't seem excessively egregious to the U.S. government. Shortly after Strussner seized power, Secretary of State John Foster Dulles sent a memo to Eisenhower noting that the State Department does not foresee that the new government will differ substantially from its predecessor. Nonetheless, Eisenhower opened diplomatic relations with the interim Strussner government, one that was put to the test by the farcical yet constitutionally mandated 1954 election. On the surface, this national election may have seemed fair and transparent. But by this point, only two months into his reign, Strussner had all but outlawed other political parties from even existing. Even so, there remained a handful of Colorado splinter groups attempting to make inroads any way they could. Strussner used his keen insight to nip this problem in the bud. Though he'd given few, if any, public speeches until this point, Strussner sensed that this was the moment to do so. In an address to the Colorado Party Assembly, Strussner called for an end to the decades of political division plaguing the country. Without stability, Paraguay would remain mired in the past. He made the case for himself as the man to lead Paraguay into the future. Strussner intoned that under his leadership, politics will become another way of educating the people where noble passion for the public good will be nurtured by elevating the best men in hopes of restoring order and public peace. This call for unity and trust worked spectacularly. The Colorado Party nominated Strussner as its representative in the election. 
Of course, because there were no other political parties, Stroessner cruised to victory with 98% of the vote. Under the circumstances, it's unclear why an election was held at all. Perhaps it was to lend an air of legitimacy or democracy to the proceedings for the benefit of the United States. But in truth, the Eisenhower administration wasn't that concerned about Stroessner's authoritarian techniques. They were more concerned with stopping the spread of communism. But before they could do so, they had to deal with a particularly sharp thorn in Stroessner's side. Stroessner's appeal within the Colorado party was based largely on fear. But there was one man whose popularity actually appeared legitimate. That man was Epifanio Mendez Fleitas. Mendez Fleitas was neither an authoritarian nor a member of the military. He was a left-leaning bank president and someone the U.S. viewed as a socialist, though there was little evidence to back up that claim. Still, knowing that his relationship with the U.S. was all about eradicating communism, Stroessner convinced the U.S. government to back him in ousting Mendez Fleitas, not only from the party, but from Paraguay itself. The U.S. was more than happy to oblige. The U.S. ambassador to Paraguay said, Whether or not Mendez is a communist, the record will show that he was accomplishing one of the primary communist aims in any country which the Communist Party wishes to take over. In so many words, the absence of evidence that Mendez Fletes was a communist was completely irrelevant. To the U.S., Stroessner was the lesser of two evils, and Mendez Fletes's exile set the tone for the entire relationship moving forward. In the first years of his reign, Stroessner faced the most challenges to his power and authority. After all, Paraguay had a long history of political instability, and few believed that Stroessner would last any longer in office than his predecessors. These uprisings, which were quelled before they could turn violent, came from an offshoot of the Colorado Party, known as the Popular Colorado Movement. At the same time, the liberal Febristas and the Paraguayan Communist Party each made their own attempts to overthrow Stroessner. None were successful. They only resulted in rebel leaders being arrested and executed by the military. The fact that Stroessner withstood all these challenges is a testament to his fortitude, but mostly to his repressive authoritarianism, which is surprising given his reserved, shy nature. Like other dictators, Stroessner sought to project an image of the all-powerful, omnipotent strongman. But unlike Kim Il-sung or Idi Amin, who were both charismatic and outgoing, Stroessner was standoffish and reserved. He was awkward, rarely spoke publicly, and was almost agoraphobic when it came to strangers. Without any charisma to win over supporters, Stroessner knew that the best way to stay in power was a loyal military. He rewarded trustworthy officers with money and promotions, all of which served to reinforce his control. And just as a safety net, he also decided to reorganize the government. In response to the popular Colorado movement's uprisings, Stroessner dissolved Congress entirely in 1959. At this point, the Colorado Party became synonymous with Stroessner and began to be referred to as the Stronato. The Colorado Party itself was also reshaped into a more hierarchical organization. 
Strussner and his government executives were at the top, controlling the local and regional party offices, who in turn controlled all facets of life in Paraguay. Even those who weren't involved in politics were forced to contend with the Stronado. Membership in the party became mandatory for all state employees, including educators and members of the military. For the average citizen, joining the party was simply a means of survival. But repressing open dissent wasn't enough for Strussner. He also employed thousands of spies to report any nascent rebellion or anti-Stronado sentiment. And with this system in place, his grip on power became ironclad. Ironically, it was the United States government, the beacon of human rights and democracy, that aimed to keep it that way. The U.S. never viewed its neighbor to the South as an equal. Paraguay was perceived through the lens of the old colonial view that Latin American people were primitive and needed a white savior to guide them. Much like the earlier colonial oppressors, that attitude served as an excuse to ransack the country's natural resources and exploit their citizens. The U.S. ambassador to Paraguay stated that the country consisted of barefooted mestizos selling feather dusters to each other. The problems inherent in making a strong impact on this primitive culture are such that we may have to go around by tapping European and Oriental bloodlines and importing families of similar origin. Once it became clear that this wasn't possible, the U.S. decided to make their strong impact in secret, often through programs developed and carried out by the CIA. This behavior was nearly identical to that of the United States' sworn enemy, the Soviet Union. Soviet campaigns to topple governments in China and Korea had killed millions of civilians. But the U.S. couldn't claim any sort of moral authority in their battle against the Red Menace. In the words of Eisenhower's Secretary of State John Foster Dulles, do nothing to offend the dictators. They are the only ones we can trust. The U.S. propped up governments that were already run by dictators. President Eisenhower actually awarded the Legion of Merit, the highest honor possible for a foreign citizen, to dictators Manuel Ordria of Peru and Marcos Perez Jimenez of Venezuela. And the CIA backed coups and uprisings in Cuba, Nicaragua, Chile, and Panama, among others. Those countries all held either strategic or financial value for the United States. Cuba was a direct threat because of its proximity. Panama had its canal, while Chile and Nicaragua were important trading partners. But Paraguay was different. The U.S. had almost no financial incentive to meddle in Paraguayan affairs. And luckily for them, they didn't have to meddle. They correctly perceived the sitting president, Alfredo Strussner, as an anti-communist ally. So Eisenhower and Strussner forged a beneficial relationship. Strussner pledged to stop the spread of communism in Paraguay, and Eisenhower extended him $24.2 million in military assistance and $10.3 million in loans, a lifeline to the poor country. The United States helped to establish and train a secret police force in Paraguay whose true purpose was to round up, arrest, and torture political dissidents. But the U.S. never took Strussner or his government seriously as an ally. 
For example, when Strassner met with Eisenhower in 1956 requesting additional aid, Eisenhower refused. This refusal laid the groundwork for what became a familiar pattern within the relationship. Paraguay would ask for more money, the U.S. would refuse, and Paraguay would threaten to withdraw their support in the battle against communism. This pattern pitted the countries in a low-stakes heads-up poker game with some of the worst bluffs ever made. Coming up, JFK, drug dealers, and the human rights paradox. Now, back to the story. By the late 1950s, Alfredo Strussner held a firm grip on power in Paraguay. He'd purged his own political party of opposition and began expanding those purges throughout the country. And it was all done with the approval of the United States. Unfortunately, Strussner was overplaying his hand. He continuously asked for more aid, despite knowing that Paraguay didn't have much to offer the U.S. outside of communist suppression. Aware of this, too, the U.S. denied his requests. And after John F. Kennedy was elected president in 1960, Strussner's prospects grew increasingly dim. The Eisenhower administration had been willing to overlook many of the human rights abuses carried out by Strussner's regime. The Kennedy administration, however, vowed to take a more forceful stand. But JFK's vision was immediately put to the test when Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev pledged to support all wars of national liberation in the Third World. By this time, Fidel Castro had assumed power in Cuba. The Soviet Union had finished construction of the Berlin Wall, and communist regimes were springing up all over Asia. Now, it looked like all of Latin America would fall behind the Iron Curtain. Faced with these threats, Kennedy's goal of addressing human rights violations took a back seat to stopping the spread of communism. So, like his predecessor, he was forced to back the Strussner government in Paraguay, but with a slightly new approach. Rather than send in U.S. troops to fight communist guerrillas, the Kennedy administration wanted to train Latin American militaries to do it themselves. According to historian Kirk Tyvella, between 1961 and 1964, more than 16,000 military personnel from Latin America received counterinsurgency training at the School of the Americas, located in Panama. There were many within the Kennedy administration who felt ambivalent about this policy. Kennedy's ambassador to Paraguay even remarked, Paraguay's rigorous suppression of communists has been effective so far. The unfortunate part is that they are ruthless and indiscriminate in their manner of achieving it. Other policymakers felt that the support for violent regimes was actually doing more harm than good. They believed that propping up men like Strassner would inspire more left-wing revolutions, similar to what happened in Cuba. Instead, they wanted to transform impoverished Latin American nations by increasing education, jobs, and raising the standard of living. This would benefit everyone and result in stability without any bloodshed. So a resigned John F. Kennedy decided to pursue both strategies, propping up dictators and their militaries, and also providing billions of dollars in aid. The problem, they soon discovered, was that they couldn't enforce how that aid was spent. 
When it came to Paraguay, the country was hopelessly tied to an agrarian economy and that no amount of aid could change it, at least not without a leader who was willing to rebuild the entire country from the ground up. Sadly, it was apparent that 51-year-old Alfredo Strustner had no interest in being that leader. But that didn't stop Adlai Stevenson, Kennedy's ambassador to the United Nations, from paying him a visit. Stevenson threatened to cut aid to Paraguay if Strussner didn't ease up on his authoritarian behavior. In response, Strussner reassured him that the upcoming elections in 1963 would be free, fair, and transparent. The only caveat was that no one had volunteered to run against him. When election day came, Strussner won 90% of the votes, and it appeared that all the tough talk from Stevenson was just bluster. The aid kept flowing. In fact, the amount actually increased. After JFK's assassination that year, Lyndon Johnson continued the same practice. And it was during Johnson's administration that Strussner actually accomplished something beneficial to the United States, in a manner of speaking. A civil war had broken out in the Dominican Republic with multiple political parties jockeying for power. In response, Johnson sent in American troops to curb the violence and transition power to a non-communist government. To that end, Strussner deployed 207 Paraguayan soldiers to assist in the effort. The Paraguayan soldiers reportedly didn't fire a single bullet or even fight. They simply waited around a U.S. military base in case American troops needed their support, which they didn't. Nonetheless, after three months, the soldiers returned home to a hero's welcome and were each awarded medals of merit and 20 hectares of land. Apparently, sending 200 soldiers to sit around a base was all it took to placate Lyndon Johnson and guarantee hundreds of millions of dollars in U.S. assistance. The relationship between Johnson and Strussner continued to strengthen after Strussner pledged to send troops to Vietnam. However, this plan was scrapped since it was agreed that the language barrier would be too difficult to overcome. Nonetheless, in 1968, Strussner finally secured his first invitation to the White House. There were some in the Johnson administration who felt that the visit was a bad idea given Strussner's history. To address that issue, the U.S. ambassador suggested that Strussner's reputation might improve if he were photographed with the female members of his family, namely his wife and daughter. However, it was quickly discovered that Strussner and his wife didn't particularly like one another. The ambassador remarked that Strussner would not wish to take his wife, who is no particular social or ceremonial asset. Strussner suggested he bring one of his many mistresses instead, but that idea was vetoed. Ultimately, he arrived at the White House unaccompanied. Later that year, Strussner watched from Paraguay as Richard Nixon replaced Lyndon Johnson. Nixon had much more pressing issues than Paraguay, so relations between the two countries plodded on unchanged. However, the one area where Nixon did confront Strussner was the drug trade. Nixon considered himself a defender of law and order. In keeping with that image, he declared a war on drugs, which he referred to as public enemy number one. 
So when Nixon discovered that one of the world's most notorious drug dealers, Auguste Ricor, was living in Paraguay, it threatened to completely undermine his position and U.S.-Paraguay relations. Nixon demanded that Strassner extradite Ricor to the United States. Initially, Strassner refused. Ricor's massive drug smuggling ring included both civilian officials and members of the military. And it's almost certain that Strassner himself received kickbacks from the operation. This was no small enterprise either. One estimate suggests that this network supplied up to three-fourths of the heroin smuggled into the U.S. A small chunk of that was seized on December 12, 1970. On that sunny winter day, U.S. Customs agents discovered 210 pounds of heroin at the Miami airport smuggled aboard a flight from Paraguay. One of the couriers named Ricor as the supplier. The U.S. indicted him in absentia, requesting that Strussner extradite him to the United States. However, a Paraguayan judge denied the request. Finally, Nixon intervened. He sent the U.S.'s senior narcotics officer to Paraguay, where he threatened to cut off all aid to the country unless Ricor was extradited. With his back against the wall, Strussner relented. Eighteen months after the saga began, Ricor was finally extradited to New York in 1972. He was accused of smuggling $2.5 billion worth of illegal drugs into the United States, worth a staggering $14 trillion today. Ricor was given the maximum sentence, 20 years in prison. The event was seen as a major victory for Nixon, and it only served to strengthen his relationship with Strussner. Unfortunately, a few years after Nixon was forced out of the White House, Strussner was confronted with a newly liberal American Congress and President Jimmy Carter. Unlike his predecessors, Carter wasn't going to turn a blind eye to Paraguay's human rights abuses. Strussner's days of U.S. support were numbered. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll explore how Strussner's thorny relationship with Jimmy Carter led to his downfall. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Dictators for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Dictators on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. Dictators was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Nick Johnson with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Dictators was written by Tony Goodman, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. Hi, listeners. If you love the podcast Dictators, don't forget to check out the new Spotify original from Parcast, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency.
exposing the most damning details surrounding history's most high-profile leaders. To hear more, follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.